What's up, guys? Alex Contreras alongside Eli Sussman. Welcome to another episode of Marlins Barbecue. We got a very special guest today. And you know what? It's normally me or Red on the grill. But today, it's all Joe Fizarro. Joe Fizarro, ladies and gentlemen. Alex, hey, buddy. How you doing? Thanks for the intro and then for having me. Man, super excited to have you here at the barbecue. Excited to talk about some Marlins baseball. And excited to talk about man on second baseball. Can you talk to us about what this is, Joe? Yeah, uh, just real quick for those who, who know me, and, uh, and I know you've been very complimentary because, you know, you grew up reading me. But, you know, the last 19 years, I was covering the Marlins for MLB.com. And then um, at the end of last year, uh, an early retirement package was offered, and a number of people at MLB took it. It was voluntary. It was, um, and I felt it was also time, you know, 19 years doing one beat, 18, 19 seasons, excuse me, 18 years. Um, you know, I felt it was a, a good time for a change. Uh, and, and so I, I went off into the sunset and, you know, I, something I, I've been kind of wanting to be a little entrepreneurial and see if I could establish something. Cause my, my end goal is, and I think of you guys at fish stripes as well. Uh, you guys want to see baseball grow. And uh, I want to see baseball grow, not just in, you know, with the Marlins in South Florida, in the state of Florida, because I really have always thought Florida, and especially where our market here is a sleeping giant for baseball. So so I came up with the concept of man on second. Now, that's man on second. The title of man on second baseball is a metaphor for me. Um, I am uh, basically the extra inning rule went to a runner on second base. Right. Uh, but that's extra inning. So in my career. I'm on second base in extra innings. I'm not the, the game hasn't ended yet for me. So I am the metaphor. So I am man on second baseball. Now, what is that? I'm going to still be very heavy handed on the Marlins. I still am a member of the BBWAA. Uh, but I also last night went to the UM FAU game. Uh, you know, I'm going to be doing colleges. Uh, if there's um, on the prep ranks, if there are draftable players around, if I could get there, I want, I want to see some of that. And eventually, I'm a one-man show right now. So I launched uh, the website is manonsecondbaseball.com. Spell that all out. On on Twitter, it's the handle is uh, manon2nd, as well as at Joe Forsaro, still still around on on Twitter. And I established a YouTube channel as well. And down the line, we like to do podcasting, but it's only been two and a half weeks. So um, I think I've accomplished a bit. You know, I'll be going to the Marlins game tonight, so pretty much that's why I asked it just a little earlier. Give me some time to get up to Jupiter. So that that's where it is. And uh, you know. Like I said, you'll still see me doing Marlins, but you'll see me doing other stuff and basically baseball. And and that means spring training baseball. And I'll branch out. I'll, you know, there it's all trial and error. But, uh, you know, we're going to have some fun here at Man on Second and uh, and see where it goes. Well, man, let me just say on behalf of everybody in Marlins Nation, man, we're so happy to see you around again. You know, when we heard, hey, Joe, Joe's hanging him up, you know, he's driving off into the sunset. And then all of a sudden, like, Joe's back. Like, for, for me, I was super excited. I was like, hell yeah, like, we got Joe back, you know? Like, and, and maybe you made way for the whippersnapper, you know, Christina. Yeah, Nicole. yeah, Christina was my, my intern or associate reporter, and, and she was ready to take the reins. And the daily grind, hey, the, the thing about covering baseball is the daily grind. You either love doing it, and that's why you do it, but it is a grind. It is a literally 24-7 365, you know, it, it is every day, every night. I mean, back in 2005 on, on Thanksgiving night, two major trades with Delgado going to the Mets and, and then they announcing Beckett and Lowell. That's on a 
that's on Thanksgiving night. Now, how many people really, I mean, that one of those is the biggest offseason trade, two of them on the same night. And that night happened to be in Thanksgiving. You know, it, it's that type of stuff where I, you love doing it at the time, but, but if there's a time to dial it back and, and, you know, clean the path, Pristine will do a great job. MLB.com will do a great job. Nothing but love for them. And I still call them. We, and uh, so, but again, it's uh, I'm doing something, not exactly what I was doing, but, it's baseball. And, and when you say right off to the sunset, I still felt I have a voice and, and I want to see baseball in Florida be more than, you know, just, you know, just a niche thing. I want, I want South Florida to really love baseball and, and talk about baseball. Like it does football, basketball and everything else. Well, Joe, as you mentioned right there, this isn't exactly what you were doing with MLB.com and for, I guess there's some downsides to that, but there are probably a lot of upsides to that too, um, because I'm not sure if people really understand that the beat reporter gig for MLB is a little different than like a conventional beat reporter job for another uh, separate outlet. And like we've already seen like a man on second baseball that you've had some really juicy stories, you know, from how the Marlins manned certain players from the Luis Castillo trade to the Brad hand trade. And that's the type of stories that you might not be able to actually publish on an MLB site itself. Could you take people behind the scenes a little yeah. bit as to what was hold, what, like what the job exactly was before and why you're kind of grateful to be independent now? Well, I mean, it's what it before was, and, and that's one thing that made MLB.com so successful successful is it's such forward thinking. I had a long history in newspapers. I, people may not know it. I was at the Tampa Tribune for over a decade. I covered the NFL. I covered eight, eight Super Bowls uh, and long newspaper history. I st- when I got to the state of Florida, I was at the Ocala Star Banner. And so they, if I noticed though, newspapers, it was a big adjustment. Those who read me back in 2002, my first year on the beat, I probably had the day wrong, like 90% of the time on my stories because you know, in, in a newspaper, you always wrote the next day. If it was if it was Tuesday, you wrote Wednesday because the paper hit the streets on Wednesday. And I wasn't used to Tuesday being Tuesday. So I was like, you know, just literally because the Internet is now. If I write something right now and, and hit, the, hit the submit button or the publish button, it goes up now. So the day would be that day, you know, so. I'm sure that it was such a habit to break that, you know, I would sit around and because I was got I was so used to for over like 15 years of literally just writing, oh, this story is running on Wednesday. So here it is Tuesday and I'm just writing Wednesday, you know, so, uh, you know, it was, it was that type of confusion. So but MLB.com, they they're so forward thinking that we didn't really spend a lot of time on anything going back other than, you know, doing historical things. But, uh, you know, there is always the what's next. And I think that they really what drove that company to be so successful is we didn't waste a lot of time. We just, the, the, it's, as you know, the Internet is so fast. And and if things didn't work, we just change gear. So we'd sit around. If they make a Yelich trade, we didn't have a lot of time to, to retrace the Yelich trade. But the Milwaukee guy may be doing that. You know, I'm writing about, about Brinson and Diaz and, and Monte and Yamamoto because now Yelich isn't my property anymore, meaning, you know, as, as a beat writer under my, my umbrella. So those stories may have been written. They might have been written more by the other writers. You know, you trade Stanton to, to the Yankees. You're going to get a lot of what Stanton had to say about the Marlins coming out of New York. 
it wasn't necessarily, there still was that vehicle, but it, I wasn't necessarily making the call to see that other than if Giancarlo came to Miami and, and just talked to the group. So a uh, little different dynamic because you have 30 beat riders all kind of really centered on, on their, their specific team. And, and, and trust me, I loved every minute of it. And, but like you say, this is just a little bit more freedom to, you know, you pick up things through the years or you, you bump into people or you, you just kind of want to revisit because look, it's, it's easy to sit around and go, Oh man, they messed up. And then just jump and pile on that. But one of the things I'm wanting to do with my site is really ask the question of why. And then double check. And, and, you know, I, I think you're going to see Kim Eng doing the same thing. Like, like she even kind of said that if, if someone says Peyton Burdick is good, well, okay. She's going to say why? Well, uh, well, baseball America or her pipeline or, or this scout or this coach thought, well, she's like, well, well, what did, why, why do they like him? What is there in Peyton Burdick? And then taking it to what other people, you know, you you could always peel it back to get, I always felt that to get the, the most accurate information, you try to get as many sources or people, and then you try to get the highest level of that sourcing. And so if I sit around and my eyes see, like last night I was at UM and I see uh, Adrian Del Castillo, the catcher, who I want to see him catch, but thankfully he was in the game. He is DH, but it's Tuesday night. He's going to catch on the weekends. I get all that. But he hits a single, a nice line drive to right. Okay, so you see the swings there and all. Then he hits the three-run bomb off, off a lefty, works a really good count. So my eyes are telling me one thing, you know, so I'm seeing that the result is obviously favorable. If he flies out to the warning track instead of a three on homer, does it change my opinion of him? No, because you see the approach, you see the, but then you want that reinforced. So you, it's, you'd be amazed guys, how many times you could talk to, let's say a scout or a front office type and get, you could talk to three people about the same player and get three totally different points of view. So that's why I don't put too much stock into necessarily one scout or two scouts. It's like, it's like you try to, and then you make, I remember Jack McKeon said, cause Jack has an amazing eye for talent. You know, Jack as a GM back in the days with, with San Diego, Jack would say, if there was a player that the, that he was interested in, he would send his two best evaluators, let's say to it. One guy goes and loves him. the other guy goes and doesn't love him. Then Jack will hear both of them make the argument. Then Jack will go watch them and make up his own mind. And he's not going to respect more or less the others because they're going to have their opinions in there. As long as you could, you know, if you're evaluating and you could explain your, your decisions and say, Hey, look, you know, this guy, you know, maybe there's mechanical things. We think there's going to be some injuries or, you know, the swing looks a little long or it's got some hitches and glitches in there. Uh, You know, it's like, but then Jack and then Jack said he would make the call because guess what? If there's a hiring, if there's a firing on the line, whose butt's going to be on the line? It was going to be Jack. So, uh, you know, but not every not every GM, the, the, the landscape is different now. Not everyone they're looking at. They're looking at analytics. And, and I'm totally on board with analytics. I wasn't so much years ago, but I think StatCast completely because StatCast to me, I've always said, is just a GPS for baseball players. You know, if I get on my bicycle or run and I got my Garmin or Fitbit, whatever you're wearing, and you say, okay, I went a mile or, you know, I did this in this time. Well, you're assuming that that's right, right? You're assuming the Fitbit, the GPS is telling you, you know, when we when we're driving somewhere and they say turn left or right in 400 feet, they're usually right. So that's what StatCast does. It puts that on each player. How hard is the ball coming off the bat? And at what angle? Like launch angle and exit velocity are the two most brilliant things ever introduced to, to baseball. 
because now you could quantify it. You know, there were times I watched Stanton before we even knew what StatCast was in 2015 and, and Exit Velo. He sits there, he hits a ball, like you could tell it's smoked. And he hits it like a foot away from the shortstop and the guy just barely can move and it hits his glove and it goes flying in the air and the official score calls it an error. Well, then you find out like in the StatCast here, that could be a 120 mile an hour ground ball which is not anymore a routine play. So a ball right at an infielder, I think it should it's changed official scoring. You can't say a 120-mile-an-hour ground ball is the same as a 95 right at you. You know, what, that's not the same ball. One should be, or at least looked at as a hit. But the, before we knew that, that number, we would just look and say, got a glove on it. It's like in football. Wide receiver got a hand on it, should catch it. You know, well, is it Mahomes throwing it at <laughs> however hard a football a quarterback throws it? Or is it a guy who doesn't have a strong an arm? You're like, you're, it's not as easy to catch that ball when it's coming at you at a lot higher rate. So, and then just what the launch angle does is just give you, it's, it's the direction off the bat. It's like, yes, do you want 120 ground ball, mile an hour ground balls? Or you want, if you find out that 10 degree to like 15 is over the infielder's head, it's in the outfield. Yeah, I want players that do that. So I always laugh at the people, oh, coach, or, you know, do you like launch? Yes, everyone like, who's going to say no? You may not want your players to cheat to get there and get bad technique and then maybe achieve their ultimate goal one every 10 swings because they happen to hit the ball right. You, the re- it's the result. The launch angle is the result of if you're, if you're developing right, it should come off the bat in a, such a way that you get more barrel contact and get that ball to hit and drive because the game is about slugging. You want you don't want to lead the league in, in singles per se. If you lead the league in doubles, that's a lot better. I will sw- switching it up on you real real quick. Well, that was a ramble, wasn't it? That was really all over the place. That was like, a legendary did Eli, ramble. Yes. Did, did, did I lose you on that, Eli? Or did that make no? Sense? Yeah, no, you got me. And I'm, I'm just I'm glad you actually mentioned Stanton because that was a, a great he's really the ideal example when you're talking about the values of StatCast where you could see the numbers and uh, how he stacked up as a great power hitter year after year after year. But people outside of Miami might say, oh, well, we all, our team out wherever we are in New York or in Chicago, we have one of those. But then you could point to the StatCast numbers and you realize that he's actually doing things that nobody else does. He, no, he there's was, like three players off on the, the charts planet. in terms of how hard he hit that ball and how consistently he he was doing that. And that explains uh, why, I mean, hypothetically, if he stays healthy in New York or wherever he may go the rest of his career, that he can continue to be a great player as long as he stays healthy because it's just yeah, a exactly. special, yes. special talent. Yes, that's a Hall of Fame skill set. Now, obviously, you need the consistency to be that. He had the Hall of Fame year in 17. But, you know, is he – no, he's not headed to Hall of Fame yet. But, but you know, he has that in him to be that because he does – with and, and real quick on, on StatCast, going back, I think it was in 15 uh, – whatever it was, maybe even 16, obviously we're talking, I'm talking Jose Fernandez. So it's, it's a dark time, but, but obviously the, what Jose was doing in 16 with his slider, like a stack cast, I remember we gave a little, the stack cast people at the winter meetings gave us at MLB.com a little tutorial. And it's like Jose's strikeouts on sliders was like twice as much as anybody else. I, I had to go back and look at that, but it's easy enough to go there. But his slide, like, like people say, Oh, that guy's got a good slider. But when you actually looked at who was missing bats and striking guys out on the slider, it was like Jose and no one else even close. 
and I, I might have been just right-handed pitchers if I, I I'm going off memory now, but but it was just that's what it told you. You know, now when you're you're sitting around, it isn't a be-all end-all, but man, it's telling. If someone is doing something twice as good as another great pitcher or player, then you yeah, that's elite. You know that that's elite. So um, that, yeah, that it's fun stuff. And again, this is it's it's in the weeds, deep t- talk of baseball, but. What I'm trying to do with with my site and and is just kind of yeah I have no problem I don't I don't necessarily I hope to bring in the casual fan to become a more rabid one and and this, that's how you're going to love the game you're not going to be in a fair weather or, or a you know bandwagon type fan you're going to leave as soon as it doesn't go your way but if the sport is in you then you're then you the sport's in you and you're going to a high school game and a college game or a junior college game if there's something worthwhile to see. Yeah, man, for real. I, I personally love the sport so much. I mean, all of us here can say that we love the, the sport with a passion. We eat, breathe, sleep baseball, right? And, and personally, for me, it's like some therapy, bro. Like, sometimes when I go to the baseball field just to watch a game, win or lose, like, it's a mental disconnect for me to sit there and enjoy and, and, and have all those emotions triggered in your brain. We're like, all right, we got to base it. You know what I'm saying? The run score, you're jumping up and down. You're, you're the third base coach. You're whipping around the guys. You know what I'm saying? You're going for chance. So let's go Marlins. I honestly can't wait to see all the fans back at, at Marlins Park. It's going to be a, a, a joy. And, and since you mentioned Jose, I'm glad you mentioned Jose. Jose, you know, everybody knows what type of player he was. He left his mark. You know, there's two type of people that you meet in your life, either somebody that leaves a mark or a stain. And definitely Jose left his mark here in South Florida and all of Major League Baseball. That being said, um, the last regime, you know, Laurie and them, um, I hate to say his name, but I had, I had to say it. <laughs> he, he, had pro- he had promised to the fan base that, you know, nobody was ever going to wear number 16. And to this day, I believe nobody's worn number 16 as the Miami Marlins. You see this, this current regime considering finally, you know, maybe putting a plaque. Or are we going to stay yes. quiet? Because everything's been very quiet. Everything's been very quiet on that side. Yeah, that that's something that they're going to have to answer. I just, I, to answer your question, I don't see anyone wearing 16. I don't see anyone asking for 16. Uh, it's just a matter of, do they officially retire the number in that, you know, there was circumstances that were were tragic in that, and as we know. So it's a, it's a complicated, complicated issue. But, uh, you know, the player, you know, we, we think about him a lot and, uh, and it hurts every time. But, uh, you know, I also try to, you know, remember the good, you know, of, of covering him. And, and, you know, I, I, I said it at the time when he passed, they're probably the two players that I covered that I think loved playing baseball. Now it's hard to say, cause everyone puts the uniform on, they love playing baseball that my immediately came to mind in my, my perspective that I covered as Marlins and Miguel Cabrera and Jose Fernandez just kind of stood out to me as the two guys who, who simply loved playing baseball. Like, like Miggy, yeah, I see. You know, Miggy would, you know, Miggy would play street games. You know, Jose was the type that, you know, did a quick story on Jose back in spring training in 16. And that was about the time everyone was really starting to use their cell phones to video, like bullpen sessions on the in spring training and everything. And literally like his first uh, bullpen, like a bunch of people are there videoing Jose and I'm there videoing them and, and then he gets done and the practice was still going on and he gets done and he just like walks up to me and he goes, Hey, Hey, Hey boss, uh, do you, 
well, you videoing? And I was thinking I, he thought I was doing something wrong. And I go, yeah. And I go, and he goes, well, how did I look? And I said, you look good. He goes, no, he wanted, he wanted me to open the phone and literally now they're videoing him. The Marlins are, <laughs> but I, Jose wanted me like right there to show him a couple of, you know, pitches from my phone. And that's just the, the type of player he was that, but that came naturally to him. It was, it's just really, you know, again, it's, it's a different age right now, obviously with COVID, we're not, we're not close to the, to the action like we were, but I hope we can get back to that because that's the, the relationships that, and the connections that kind of make you a baseball fan. You know, uh, if you become a fan, you might think of your first favorite player, you know, it may not be the most popular player. I mean, mine's on my wall there. I don't know if you see Tom Seaver over there, but, uh, you know, because I grew up in New York and Tom Terrific was uh, was my guy. But, you know, it was like it, it may not have to be Tom Seaver. It could have been somebody that, you know, gave you an autograph in a group. It might have been a utility player or, or whatever. So, um, you know, so that that's the thing. We don't know what's going to what's going to connect with a with a, a kid or a fan uh, to make them a fan. Gary Sheffield. I'm going to answer your question. Oh, well, yeah. And that's, uh, that's, I mean, that's a good one too, though. Not only, yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, something as subtle as that, you know, I, I, I just did something on, on uh, Juan Soto because uh, I'm helping contributing to a apparel company called Aced Out. And I did a little, little, little profile on Juan Soto and that's Soto Shuffle. I mean, it's just fun. You know, it's just, no one has to, you just, you could, between the pitch, he doesn't have to crouch and lean forward, look like he's going to make a step to the pitcher and create this kind of uh, little bit of tension. That, but, it, you know, he's there's a little showmanship as well and, and some mind games, too, because I'm sure in Soto's mind, hey, you know, I'm going to you throw that again. You know, I, I might do some real damage with that. And then the pitcher, if it makes the pitcher get off his game, he may end up walking him because he loses focus and, and not, you know, throwing the pitch where he wants. Hey, Joe, uh, we've been talking about a lot of guys uh, so far that have are pretty widely known and appreciated and beloved. Is there anybody, any particular players from what 19 years on the Marlins beat that stick out to you as being very underrated uh, in terms of whether being at the time overlooked or ones that you think just historically haven't aged as well for whatever reason, aren't being appreciated now as much as they should be for what they did when they were Marlins? Yeah, boy. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I think Ricky Nolasco was underrated. If you just look, because Ricky, Ricky may have got more from his talents than than a lot, a lot of people might realize. Because um, if you look, he's he's the club all time wins leader, but not that you know they don't really have you know a lot of history of and, and wins isn't as valued. But but if you look, and, and Jack McKeon told me this. Ricky won at a pretty big level. If you can look at Ricky Nolasco's double A AA and triple A numbers, or, or I don't know how much triple A time he had, but, but if you go back and look, he, he probably was winning at a, over a 60% clip and he just, you know, found a way to compete. I thought he was very underrated. He'd give you innings. There's number 16, Ricky Nolasco, 16 strikeouts tonight in Atlanta. Ricky Nolasco has been incredible tonight. He has struck out a franchise record 16. His last start of the season, what a performance by Nolasco. And we got spoiled during those years because Josh Johnson came up, was really good. Obviously, Jose, we were talking about, you know, uh, Beckett. You know, th this team always kind of had 
you know, somebody that was a real frontline guy. Now Sandy looks like he's it. Um, but, you know, it's like if not a lot of appreciation. So sometimes that third and fourth guy in that rotation who's who's given you a lot of valuable innings. And, and you know, Ricky had a little bit of injuries that kind of helped the numbers. But, you know, a heavily breaking ball guy. But he competed. And I thought he was a little bit underrated. A guy I find fascinating, especially now, um, was his career clearly didn't take off, was Jeremy Hermida. But if you go back and look at his, like, 06 or 07, one of those years, a lot of walks, the batting average, you know, there was a – now the walk is a lot more valued than then. I think I think analytics might have treated Hermida's approach a little bit differently. Um, you know, so he might have, I thought, could have been a guy that would have – now he's a first-rounder, so, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't become what he was. But, you know, Ugla obviously was a, a great uh, success story uh, – but underrated, man. Sometimes it blurs. Uh, those, those are few that I mentioned. Yeah. Cody Ross, Alfredo. Well, Mexico. he wasn't necessarily. But I don't know if they were underrated because I think they were exactly what they were. I think that you know they were good players and they and they performed. So when we say uh, underrated, you know, Cody Ross goes and he's a playoff hero in in, in San Francisco. And but he was a good player. You know, he's. Really, you know, that's the thing. Watch, that's yeah. the thing. Guys who guys who are see, I, I look at it differently. Uh, like I remember having a lot of conversations with with people in the game, and it's like when Miguel Rojas just was starting to come up, and I'd tell people in the man, this guy's a good player. Now, when I say this guy's a good player, do I mean he's an all star? No. Do I mean that you know he's the top five shortstops in the game? No. But he was he did so much right on the field. But I, I also, in my mind, I have him in the context of what he was. He was, you know, that utility guy who made himself a, a, a solid everyday guy. So those are really good players. And your skill set is, you know, you're, basically he should not be still in the big leagues. Guys, you know, I, I was thinking of this. Um, I just on, on the, my website yesterday, I did uh, my spotlight, not necessarily pipelines or, or baseball America's top 100 guys. But these were so because I can only do so much. But guys that I'm watching, and and I, I purposely on this one left off Blade and uh, Riley Green because I noted them as state of Florida guys to keep an eye on. But you know, um, guys like um, Grayson Rodriguez, DL Hall from the from the Orioles, uh, and and then I was looking at these guys, Alex Kirilov, Minnesota. You know, some of these guys, uh, Bobby Witt Jr. Forget it. This guy's gonna be a superstar. Daniel Lynch is on the on the Royals as well in the, their system. I, I put about seven, eight names there. And, and what, you know, these are guys I'm kind of, you know, who, who people have told me to kind of keep an eye on. So um, where am I going with this? Uh, uh, so I noticed the one common thread with those guys was they were first rounders. Like every one of them was a first round. So here we are, we're talking about guys who, Hey, keep an eye on this. Like I would think DL Hall is like the 70th ranked prospect in on pipeline. Trust me, guys, he's going to be much better than that. But he's a first rounder, and so that's where you got to hit. You know, we could talk about. So if you're a first rounder, you have that that kind of talent. You know, I, I go back to the Brad Hand story. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Eli. Uh, you know, it's kind of I kind of looked at it, what went wrong. You know, just kind of retrace because that should not happen. You should not miss that badly on a player. You know, and because he, he immediately became good to great, seemingly within a month. 
after seeming lost and, and you know, shattered confidence wise. And but then if you looked at Brad Hand, who's now what he signed for three years, almost 20 million, and he just signed for 10.5 with the Nashville. This guy's now got over 30 million dollars in the bank after, you know, who would have thought that when he left Miami and he's not done yet. And but he was a second round pick. So there's a reason there's a reason you're one of the top 50 players taken. So literally none of those guys should be underrated to us. But, you know, so you got to hit on those. And I, I quit less on the talented guys. And, and then, you know, you, you kind of the 20th rounders traditionally have maybe a little lower ceiling. Yeah, sometimes I feel like it's, it's recurring that it happens to us. Like we've had players, you mentioned Brad Hands. Uh, you can think about uh, uh, Andrew Miller. I was going to say Adam Conley. But, he was, but Andrew <laughs> Miller was a first round pick. He was a top 10 pick. Cameron, maybe. Uh, yeah, well, what I was trying to get at is like, how come these guys figure it out once they leave Miami, right? Like, you know, w- w- Brad Hand figured it out. But Miller figured it out. All of a sudden, like our, our star players, you know, for example, like a Derek Lee, we had him here. He was a solid, really good first baseman. He helped us win a World Series. All of a sudden, he gets shipped out to Chicago and he becomes this monster. Like, is it, is it like. Yeah, but he, he was a monster in 03. And I always tell people that Derek Lee became Derek Lee in, in 03 because he had what, 30, 31 homers that year. And he played gold glove first base. You know, back then they wanted to get yes, Joe, Joe, I just put up a trivia question yeah. about Derek Lee because. He's one of the few players that went 2020 with the Marlins in home runs and steals I know. He, as a first baseman. I remember him scoring, for, going first to third or first to home on extra base hits. He was like, you know, this guy, he literally in 03 was doing everything. And, you know, it was like, wow. I mean, you know, and, and you know, I remember Mike Lowell telling me this, you know, years ago. He goes, you know, Lowell said if he made the, that backhand play or, or, you know, at going down, up, you know, down the third baseline and had to make a cross the body throw or, you know, throw and come in on the ball and make an off balance throw. He really didn't hesitate making that throw to Derek Lee because he knew D was going to get the ball. Now, if you have a first baseman, you're not as trustworthy as sometimes you're just eating the ball. You just, you get to the ball, you just give the guy the infield hit, but because of Derek, though, how do you measure that? You know, I love, you know, fangress, but that doesn't measure that. You know, how do you, how do you put that in a, in a gold glove category? Like you might say, Oh, Derek Lee, you know, uh, you know, this or that, if you're not throw, if you if you're let, a gold glover in Mike Lowell throwing no matter what because he knew Derek Lee was going to get the ball, he would he would take the risky throw. There's and that goes on every day. And people, these are the games within the game that we don't realize. You know, if you got that's why I'm a big believer. If you look at the teams that traditionally win the World Series or get there, they usually got really good defensive first baseman. Yeah, man, we were so blessed back in 03, man. Derek Lee, Louis Castillo, Mike Lowe, all those gold gloves. Pudge could have got one. Alex Gonzalez could have had one. You know, yep. like we, we were stacked up. And I think Perry Hill um, was a big key to that, man. Perry Hill didn't get enough credit. Like, I think the oh, fan no base question. needs to rec- they, they need to recognize more of his work. Yeah, you know, he would he would give tips to, to these guys, and the guys would feed off of it and develop and, and continue to blossom defensively, and you were happy to see him. So shout out to Perry Hill wherever you're at. I think he's in Seattle Perry Hill, right now. We, since we're talking about – yes, he is. Uh, he might be the greatest teacher of infield, certainly one of the greatest, if not the greatest infield teacher in terms of technique. Now, you know, analytics is telling infielders where to play. Hey, uh, Joe, you know, I wanted to talk to you about um, past players, right? Past players that, that, that you've covered that – Obviously, you know, we, we talked about having the, the talent, the 
spotting talent with your eye, like Jack McKean or scouts or whatever, you yourself have seen so many people in the big leagues. Talk to me about some guys that you think would be like an ideal, a good coach or a good manager. I'll, I'll start somewhere. Uh, I'll start with Martin Prado. I think he would make a great coach somewhere. No question. And, and um, Miggy Rowe also, but I had this, I had this conversation with Martin uh, right before, you know, his last year. And I, I had it with Miggy and, and I think I want to see a lot of these, these Latin players. We always just say this guy can coach, right? I want to see them. Why can't they, why can't they be GMs and player development people and evaluators? Cause I think there's a ton of value to that, that is overlooked, overlooked. Um, you could be a great scout, a great, you could run the scouting department. You could run, there's so many things within the organization. It's easy to, to just automatically go, Oh, that guy can be a great coach. Um, but I, I think that, man, like Martin Prado could run an international department, you know, and now you're coaching, you know, 50 kids compared to a roster of 26, you know, what, you know what I mean? It's like, you literally are coaching, you know, an international department or an entire farm system, which is what, if there's 30 players, let's say on four affiliates, whatever, it's like, um, you know, 120 players. So you literally are coaching. Um, I, I think guys, what I've started doing a lot in the, in the months before I launched, I've read a lot of books, which is funny because, you know, like you were saying about the grind of the beat, where I didn't have time to read books, even in the off season, because literally the phone could ring at any, at any hour. And it often did. But I've read a lot of books on leadership and I focus a lot on leadership because I think in society and in and, and, and sports and everything, it's really important. And uh, reading books on what makes good leaders and the players that you mentioned and we're talking about like Miggy or, 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 or Martine are really effective leaders. Now, what makes a good leader? Well, they got to be a good listener. They got to be a really good communicator. Don Mattingly is an amazing leader. You know, James Rousen seems to have all those leadership qualities. It's how do you make someone better? How do you make your, like Eli, how do you make your staff better? Do you make it being, you know, hard on them and making them hate you? Or do you make your staff better by, you know, working with them and putting them in positions to succeed? You know, so it's just like, uh, again, I, I, I'm rambling again, but I think that we immediately say coach or manager. And then we're all, guilty, you know, when Mike Redman was back up, oh, this guy's going to be a manager someday. Yeah, we were right. He was. And he's now a bench coach, you know, it's like, and, and that's fine. But I, I just think that, you know, you could talk, you could look at moving up the chain and as in organizations and, and without the grind of, you know, being on the field, uh, all the hours that go into coaching. Pablito could probably be a, a future GM. Huh? He's, he's got the doctor degree. I'm sure he can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, so uh, sw swapping it up a little bit here, Joe, uh, I wanted to talk to you about, um let's see i want to talk to you about this little show this little segment that we have this little segment is called this or that right and yep. this segment basically um we we give you a couple options and you pick so yeah i'm, I'm looking at what you're going to talk to me about okay go ahead all right so all right eli you ready for the cue cue the the segment this yeah i'll be i'll plug that into the edited version so that people get yeah. hyped for it yep all right so <laughs> spring training games joe the Cactus League or the Grapefruit League? Well, I'm in Florida, so Grapefruit League. Although I, uh, Cactus League is fun, but I'm a Grapefruit League guy. Opening day starter, Sandy or Pablo? I love Pablo, but it's Sandy. I don't think there's going to be much debate. 
you had uh, one of these guys in the Marlins clubhouse as your stylist, somebody telling you to turn, yo, let's let's work on the on the swag. All right, is it Mickey Rowe or are you taking Lewis Brinson? I'm I'm going Mickey Rowe, and there's a reason because like right now I need I need a haircut. And Brinson last year told me, hey, Joe, it's getting long. You need a haircut. And I knew it looked bad, but I didn't need him to reinforce it. Now I know he's Mr. <laughs> Mr. GQ now, but this is more because Miggy would never treat me that way. So it's Miggy. And Miggy would probably hook you up with some fly sneakers, too. <laughs> <laughs> I just want a shirt right now. <laughs> that is so funny. All right. Um, barbecuing or covering baseball? Uh, we got to talk about barbecuing, but um, – um, that's a tough one, but the fact that I could barbecue every day or in retirement cover baseball, I think I'm covering baseball. All right. Char- charcoal or gas? Oh, this is a no brainer. It is charcoal. I mean, I, I have two, I have two smokers, uh, the Weber Smoky Mountain smoker, which is charcoal, but you put those smoke chunks in and, uh, and then a Traeger, which is pellet. And, um, I'm not a gas guy. All right. Uh, beef ribs or pork ribs? What do you think? I'm, what do you, I'm, I mean, it's pork. It's pork. It's, you know, it's like beef ribs or not. It's pork ribs. It's uh, baby bags or, or St. Louis style. Yeah. Hot dogs or chorizos? Oh, man. I would have been at hot dogs automatically, but I got, I just bought like four chorizos. <laughs> so it's <laughs> like <laughs> we've had like two different days of them. So uh, let's go there. Sweet. Hey, uh, Joe, what's, what's that? You go to never fail dish. What's the Joe Fazzaro? What's Joe smoking? What's that that you invite me over? What you what you cooking, man? Because you got me amped up when I saw the pastrami wrap burgers. I'm not gonna lie, my yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it's basically it's hard to say what you you know. I'm gonna tell you, and this is gonna surprise you. You're gonna want my 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 smoked seafood medley, which is going to be. Cause I could go ribs or, or brisket or whatever. And it'd be really good. But, uh, I, I get, um, crab legs and you ever have like, um, not, um, what was it for you? What's that seafood place? I'm asking my wife. So this is totally real. The one in San Francisco. I'll say Joe's. Yeah, Joe's, Joe's crab shack, Joe's crab shack. They'll have like, um, They'll have like snow crabs in, in a bucket and they'll throw in like a corn in the cob and maybe, you know, like a, a potato in there as well. And maybe like some Polish sausage and they'll cook that all in one pot. I essentially do that in a tin and put them on my smoker. Throw some eBay or whatever seasoning on there. And that would be that's a game changer. So so I'm not going to go to traditional beef or pork stuff. I'm going seafood on you on that one. I love it. I love it. I love how you threw the yeah. curve Baby, woo! Yeah. <laughs> hey, Joe, Joe, can can he, any of us expect in the coming future, uh, maybe like a Joe's barbecue pit to be open up, or are we just <laughs> are you just gonna be are you just gonna tease us on YouTube the whole time? Yeah, on YouTube. What I want to do is just get some players and some people and have this. Is my my dream of it is I'm barbecuing and I got you know like let's say Miguel Rojas or or actually bigger like Mike Trout could not bigger than Mickey I love Mickey but Mike Trout is huge barbecue guy or Pete Alonzo too just have them sitting down and we we're talking baseball and we're talking barbecue that's that's what I want to do I love or it, anyone in baseball that's going to have Jack McKay I want great baseball conversation and great barbecue that that's to me a show take a quick look and see how it looks Oh, yeah. Oh, you hear that? Juice is already flowing. So you don't want to, like I said, if you're looking, it ain't cooking. 
you said Jack McKeon would be smoking Jack a cigar. Jack so great. <sighs> well, yeah, he had the heart thing, so he, he just holds it now. It's for the show, as uh, Will Smith would say. Yeah. yeah. Well, Eli, you got any questions for, for Joe? Anything else you want to say? No, I, I think we're uh, pretty wrapped up. I mean, Joe, you did mention up top that man on second baseball for now, one man operation. Uh, now that baseball regular season is around the corner, do you have any immediate plans to open a hiring spree to look for certain people <laughs> to help you in, in certain ways? I know it's well, you can take it at your own pace and it seems like you're having so much fun right now. And uh, I, I guess from looking at, at from the outside, it looks like your wife is helping with some of the camera work that you're doing on some of the videos. So, yeah, um, yeah, she's, uh, yeah, she's my camera person and uh, co-CEO and, and, and lighting. What is, what's that called that we got? The, uh, the, 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 no, the, the O-ring, you know, it's like uh, I got one of those things now. So we're keeping Amazon busy. We got the merch coming. I got the mask. Uh, got to get some hats going. But uh, yes, I, I'd love to have some people. Obviously, I'm not making any money right now on it. Hopefully you can build something and, and the climate, you know, changes and, and I have, you know, some time to, to let this thing go. But yeah, I'd love to have some people uh, to, to help out, to share the vision that, you know, what I can't offer in pay, I can offer in experience and help you know, give them a platform to, to post their stories and, and, and a little guidance if this is what they want to pursue. And then hopefully if we make some money, it, it, it becomes something that could be more. Joe, thank you so much, man, for sharing your knowledge, for, for coming on, on our, our platform and sharing your stories with our audience, man. It was a pleasure to have you here at the barbecue. Hopefully when this pandemic goes away, we can invite you to a real barbecue. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, crack open a, a few couple brews, you know, and, and talk some baseball, man. Good to see you, friend. Eli, a pleasure as always. Guys, this is Marlins Barbecue. For more exciting content and information, go visit fishstripes.com and Men on Second Baseball. This is Alex Contreras alongside Eli Sussman and Joe Frazaro signing out. Eli, cue the music, baby. 